0: Here's another study from Calvary Chapel, Rochester. So we're in Titus, uh, and we're actually in Chapter 1. We didn't finish Chapter 1 last week, um, but Titus... He was a disciple of the Apostle Paul, and uh, he had learned the word of God from Paul. And as we talked about last week, Paul lived an infectious Christian life. Um, he, he was someone that, uh, that his disciples, those men that followed Paul, they wanted to be just like Paul. And uh, so in, in this first letter, and we talked about it last week, Paul basically says, hey, Titus is just like me. We walk. We have the same heart. We have the same vision. We, you know, we we take the same steps. I mean, if you look at Titus and see Titus, you're seeing Paul because Titus wanted to be so much uh, like Paul because Paul lived an infectious Christian life, and so now Paul in this whole letter to Titus is that he wants. Paul apparently had visited Crete. He had spent some time on at the, on the island of Crete and had left. And then so he had written this letter to Titus. He had left Titus there in, uh, on the island of Crete, and he wanted Titus to appoint uh, people or men as bishops over the churches in Crete. And evidently there was over 100 churches in Crete on, the, on that island, so it wasn't a small task. And, uh, and so this letter basically is to encourage Titus in the work and so I'm just going to pick it up here verse 5 and then verse 9 and then we'll get into where we're at today but in verse 5 he says for this reason I left you in Crete that you should set in order the things that are lacking and appoint elders in every city as I commanded you. And then he goes through this list of the qualifications of elders and, and bishops. Um, really, those are interchangeable. the same. We're basically talking about the same person, a, a bishop and an elder. Um, so he gives those uh, qualifications. Again, we talked about that last week. Well, Paul told... Uh, Titus, that a bishop must be a man, as he says in verse 9, holding fast the faithful word as he has been taught, that he may be able by sound doctrine both to exhort and convict those who contradict. He said, These men, these, these men, they've learned the word of God. They should be able to use the word of God. And in fact, they're qualified to use the word by sound doctrine, both to exhort and to convict those who contradict. And now we're picking it up where we left off here in verse 10. And so, who are those who contradict? Well, verse 10, he says, For there are many insubordinate. Both idle talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision, whose mouths must be stopped, who subvert whole households, teaching things which they ought not for the sake of dishonest gain. On the island of Crete, there were many insubordinate people. Paul is saying those are people who are not submitted to spiritual authority, and they're idle talkers. In other words, everything they talk about is just useless. You know, they just, maybe you not talk to them; they just talk about the weather, or they or they talk about the Super Bowl, or you know, well, they didn't have the Super Bowl then, but whatever their whatever their main thing that they like to watch the Isthmus games or something <laughs> like that. And and it was it was just it was just idle talk basically. But even worse than just idle speaking, there were those who were deceivers. And Paul says, especially those of the circumcision. And what he's referring to is he's referring to the Judaizers. They were, they were Jews who had became born-again Christians, but they also were the ones that were saying that the Gentiles had to follow the law of Moses in order to be a Christian. They had to, they had to go through these works of the law in order to be saved, and that, that's totally contrary to the gospel of Jesus Christ, that we're saved by grace through faith. Well, these of the circumcision, these Judaizers, they were teaching lies, and Paul says their motive was money. Interesting that it hasn't changed. Huh? Sometimes people, you know, some people their ministries are still motivated by money. He says they absur- they subvert which means to upset or overturn whole households. In other words, they cause dissension and pit family members against one another. These new Gentiles coming to faith, their, their, their families were being destroyed because of all these lies. And so Paul, he's pretty severe here. He says their mouths must be stopped. In other words, they literally, it means they must be muzzled. You've got to muzzle them, Titus. You need to silence them. In verse 12, he says, one of them... A prophet of their own said, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. What Paul is referring to is a pagan poet by the name of Epimenides, who lived around 600 B.C. And he was regarded as a diviner and a prophet. He was one of them. And he had this saying that Paul is quoting about the people of the island of Crete. Now we know historically that the people of Crete had said that Zeus... You know, the Greek god Zeus was buried on their island. And everybody's like, yeah, right. You know, they knew they were lying. Um, They had such a reputation for lying in that day and that age that to Cretanize, which is from the name of the island, to Cretan, to Cretanize was proverbial for to lie. You said, hey, you're just Cretanizing. It was basically you're saying somebody was lying. It's it's almost the same as when in Corinth. They said if you were to Corinthize, it basically meant you were to live without, it was proverbial for living without morals. And Crete evidently was a country that was didn't have any wild beasts. And Ep- Epimenides' sarcasm was that the, those men, the, the people of Crete, they supplied the place of the wild beasts on this island because they just acted like Animals, basically. And what's really interesting here, verse 13, Paul says, hey, this testimony is true. What, what, what Epimenides was saying about the people of, of Crete, it was true. That's not very politically correct. But then again, Paul wasn't politically correct. He told it like he saw it. And unfortunately, he agreed with the general assessment regarding the character of most Cretans. This was a generalization, but most Cretans, that was their character. And Paul says, hey, what? it's true. This means that the job that Titus was given, you know, setting in order the things that were, you know, mending broken lives is what we talked about last week, uh, appointing elders in every city, that wasn't a small task for Titus to do. It was a very important task, and it would have been a hard task. And because of the character of the Cretans, Paul instructs Titus he says, therefore, rebuke them sharply that they may be sound in the faith. Those, those Judaizers, those people that were telling lies that were deceiving and ups- upsetting families, rebuke them sharply that they may be sound in the faith, not giving heed to Jewish fables and commandments of men who turn from the truth. To rebuke someone, that's not a word we really use in our day and age too often, but to rebuke means to convince of error. To refute, to confute, to show to be wrong. And so to rebuke sharply meant to convince of error or to refute or to show to be wrong severely or abruptly. You know, if Titus were to ignore those lies and the false teachings, these those churches there on the island of Crete and those households, they would have been destroyed. The, the churches would have just, it would just been terrible for these ministries because of the... Uh, Cretans' propensity for lying, they were open fodder for the Judaizers to come in and start teaching Jewish fables and commandments of men. And because of that, the truth of God's word, it would have been polluted, basically, by the commandments of men. I know we've talked with people before. I know, uh, you know... uh, there's certain people that 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 they you know they they believe in God and they they follow God, but they also are being deceived by the commandments of men and and minister to some of these people and to tell them, hey, that's not what God's word says. Some people are so ingrained in the commandments of men that it's, it's hard to get through to them. They just don't see it. Verse 15 it says, "To the pure, all things are pure." But to those who are defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure, but even their mind and their conscience are defiled. You know, the gospel is so simple that even a little child knows that Jesus loves them. Why? Because the Bible tells them so. The gospel is so simple. And the pure and simple faith of these Gentile believers, they understood from Paul that their salvation was by grace through faith in Christ Jesus. It was nothing that they could earn or anything But it was being overturned by these Judaizers who had turned away from the truth. They were laying unnecessary burdens on the people that God had not, such as, you know, restrictive dietary laws. To them, nothing was pure because they were defiled themselves. And they were spreading that to the people of Crete. Verse 16, they profess to know God, but in works they deny him, being abominable, disobedient, and disqualified for every good work. These false teachers were professing to have these received. You know, they were professing to have received revelations from God, and were speaking on His half, on His behalf. Excuse me, but their (laughs) works didn't match what they were saying. So Paul was telling Titus to find men throughout these churches who had been taught the word of God, who, having clinged to God's word, were able, uh, were qualified to use God's word to rebuke those who contradicted the faith. You and I, today, you're cl- if you're clinging to God's word, you know, you and I are qualified and we're able to rebu- rebuke false teachers and deceivers because that's one thing that hasn't changed. We still have false teachers and deceivers even in the church today. And and, and you and I are qualified. We're, we're able, if you know God's word, you're able to rebuke those that have false teachings. Well, how do, you, how do you convince them of error? How do you refute or confute or show to be wrong? Well, you do it by using God's word. And each one of you know God's word. If you have God's word in your heart, you know it. You're able to rebuke people. Verse. Uh, so now we're going into chapter uh, 2, verse 1. But as for you, and I'm speaking to Titus, but as for you, speak the things which are proper for sound doctrine. When he's saying speak the things, he's, he's really meaning either teach or preach those things which are proper for sound doctrine. Sound means true or pure or uncorrupted. And, of course, doctrine is, is divine teaching, teaching about God and teaching about uh, the things of God in the Bible. And so Paul says, hey, you know, You're able to speak these things, teach these things, teach the men, teach the people in the churches things which are proper for sound doctrine, pure, true, uncorrupted teaching from God, as opposed to the commandments of men. Well, again, how do you do that? You use God's word. You don't teach your opinions. You don't, you know, you you basically, you tell them, hey, this is what God's word says, A lot of times, you know, when you come up against something and you don't know what to do, you don't, you have a decision to make, the best thing that you can do is to go say, What what does God's Word say about this subject? And and start digging into God's Word and praying and asking the Lord to reveal things to you, and He will. But you and I, we're qualified to teach one another sound doctrine by using God's Word. You're you're not only qualified to to rebuke people, if you you come across false teaching, say, hey, that's not what the Bible says. This is what what God's word says. You're you're able to do that. You're also able to teach one another using God's word. What type of things was Titus to teach? Verse 2, that the older men may be sober, reverent, temperate, sound in faith, in love, in patience. Sober means self-controlled. And it's especially in respect to wine. Of course, with alcohol, it literally means to be sober, but it also means being sober-minded, being watchful and circumspect. And if you think about it, someone who's someone who's you know they're totally inebriated, they're really not aware of their surroundings. So they do things they don't. They just you know they, they don't understand. They don't have this discernment. They're not watchful, and they they do things foolish things. Why? Because they're drunk. And so to be sober-minded is you see those things or you're watchful you're aware of your surroundings and so you respond with discernment. The word reverent is the word semnos and it means reputable uh, reputable, excuse me, not reputable. <laughs> reputable, dignified. And I got this definition here I think is really great. It Says the word represents not only earthly dignity but that which is derived from a higher citizenship, a heavenly one, which is the possession of all believers. There lies something of majestic and awe-inspiring qualities in the word, and he's speaking about this word semnos, which does not repel, but rather invites and attracts. There's just something about you that the people, maybe they can't quite put their finger on it, but there's something about you that is just inviting. That's that's what he's speaking about, being reverent temperate self di- means self-disciplined in one's freedoms self-restrained in all passions and desires he says true and uncorrupted in faith which means you know pure in faith true and uncorrupted in love and true and uncorrupted in patience so he's to teach these things to the older men and then he's to teach the older women verse 3 likewise that they may be reverent in behavior not slanderers, not given to much wine, teachers of good things, that they admonish the young women to love their husbands, to love their children, to be discreet, chaste, homemakers, good, obedient to their husbands, that the word of God may not be blasphemed. So he's to teach also the older women likewise um, to be reverent in behavior. And again, it's to be reputable, to be dignified. in in all that they do not to be slanderers a slanderer is someone who falsely accuses and divides people without any kind of reason in other words you know, people who who meddle in other people's affairs or people who start and pass on gossip you could do a lot of damage with that and so they're not to be slanderers they're not to be given to much wine they're not to be surrendered to alcohol they're to be teachers of good things which means teachers of what is good and right And who are they to teach? Well, he says it here. They're to teach the younger women. What are they to teach the younger women? How to be sober. How to be disciplined. How to think and act soberly, discreetly, and in moderation. How to love their husbands and their children. How to be discreet. And that word discreet is the same Greek word as temperate in verse 2. So self-disciplined in your freedom, self restrained in all your passions and desires. The older women are to teach the younger women how to be this way, how to be chaste, which means to be modest and pure, how to be homemakers. A homemaker is one who looks after domestic affairs with prudence and care, how to be good, how to be obedient to their husbands. Now, that kind of may raise flags with some people, but what it really means is to place oneself in submission, has nothing to do with inferiority. In fact, in Christ there is no male or female. We're all the same in Christ. We're equal. But being obedient basically means willingly submitting to the husband for the sake of the mission. You know, submission, it's it's sub you're going under, you're going under for the sake of the mission. And what's the mission? The mission is a family that glorifies God. See, the older women were to teach the younger women these things in order that he says that the word of God may not be blasphemed. because so if you think about it, how many of these you know, Gentiles were coming to faith, and, and maybe there was, a, there was a wife that was coming to faith, but the husband wasn't. And so all of a sudden, this, this wife, she's, she's filled with Jesus. She's got this Holy Spirit dwelling inside of her. and Her life has changed. She's transformed, but she's still living in this marriage with this guy that's a pagan. And, and now she's different. And, and so, you know, he's looking at her life. And so she needs to live the life that would be attractive to him to try to draw, to, that the Holy Spirit would use to draw him to a faith in Christ as well. So these are all very practical things. You know, one thing that I really appreciate as I was studying this is Paul's wisdom in displaying, uh, his, his wisdom's on display here when he's instructing Titus to teach the different groups of people, but he stops and has the older women teach the younger women. I think, man, that is so wise. Because can you imagine the pastor having a Bible study for all the young, single women in the church? You, you come over to my house, you know, 7 p.m., we'll have a Bible study. I mean, it just, it's just it wouldn't be proper, right? And so you just see the wisdom of of Paul saying this, the older women teaching the younger women, and you know in any church that is wonderful, you older women that have you've been walking with the Lord, you've been faithful in your marriage, you have so much that you can offer to the younger women in this church. I would encourage you to do that to be discipling other younger women in the church, to showing them how how to live the life because there's so many there's so many messages that are being you know broadcasted today. Um, in the world that are telling the women, you know, hey, you, you know, do your own thing and be your own person. And, 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 you know, it's just totally ungodly some of the things that are being, that are being pushed or, or being, you know, promoted. And so for the older women to be able to teach younger women, I think it's wonderful. I think it's great. Verse 6, Likewise, exhort the young men to be sober-minded, In all things, showing yourself to be a pattern of good works. In doctrine, showing integrity, reverence, uh, incorruptibility, sound speech that cannot be condemned, that one who is an opponent may be ashamed, having nothing evil to say of you. So Titus was not only to rebuke false teachers, he was not only to teach sound doctrine, but he was also to exhort people. To exhort, what does that mean? It, it literally means to call upon someone to do something, to encourage, to aid, to help, to comfort. And so Paul is saying, Titus, I want you to, I want you to encourage the young men. I want you to to aid them. I want you to comfort them. I want you to to come alongside them and 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 disciple them. Basically, is what he is speaking. And you know, you and I, we're qualified not only to rebuke false teachers. You and I are not only qualified to teach one another, but we're also qualified to exhort one another using God's word. And here Paul t- tells Titus, excuse me, to exhort the younger men to be sober-minded. And <laughs> I love this, to be of sound mind, to be sane. He says, hey, exhort the comfort you know, encourage the guys, the young guys to be sane, man. They you know, you think about it, young guys, man, testosterone. You know, I mean they, they just get some times I remember some of the stupid stuff I did when I was a young man, you know, it's like just foolish, you know, just you just you do weird things. And so he's saying, Hey, encourage them, man, to, to, to be sane. Don't don't not to do crazy stuff. That's good advice. To use sound judgment And moderation to be self-disciplined, to encourage them to show themselves a pattern of good works. I love seeing a young man that just is totally on fire for the Lord. And and you just look at their lives and man, you go, man, God's going to use that person because they're so they're just so on fire for him. To encourage them to show themselves a pattern of good works in doctrine, showing integrity. What does that mean? Integrity. I always think of it in nautical terms. I always, because when I was in the Coast Guard, we had to learn about watertight integrity. And watertight integrity means the ship doesn't leak. Yeah, there's no cracks. There's no holes. There's nothing that's going to cause that thing to start leaking and sinking. And in your doctrine, there should be no holes. It should be watertight. There shouldn't be any like cracks in it. Like you go, well, I hear what you're saying, but what about this? You know, and and so to to uh, to have doctrinal integrity, to be a pattern of reverence incorruptibility to have sound speech that cannot be condemned that opponents have nothing evil to say of them paul Paul says titus why don't you encourage young men to do this verse 9 exhort bond servants to be obedient to their own masters to be well pleasing in all things not answering back not pilfering but showing all good fidelity that they may adorn the doctrine of god our savior in all things now we don't have bond servants today. You maybe you feel like a bond servant in your job, but you know, bond servants is really talking about slavery. Literally slavery. And in the Roman Empire, slavery was widespread and it was very common. <clears throat> And so again, with the the growth of the new church, not only were maybe some wives getting saved while the husbands weren't or vice versa, but there were slaves getting saved and some slave owners that were getting getting saved and uh, they were coming to faith in Christ. And so the apostles, they needed to address how to walk out your faith in those circumstances. Because when you come to faith in Christ, you know, all of a sudden the world doesn't just like, oh, you're saved, and then everybody around you all of a sudden's like, that's wonderful, you know. You can be saved and be in some really difficult situations. Be the only Christian in your family. Or if you were a slave in that day and age, how do you live like how do you live like a Christian? When you've got this master who's a taskmaster, he's, you know, he's cruel or whatever, and you're being mistreated, how do you live your life? And so these were very practical things that Paul needed to teach and that Titus, he wanted Titus to teach. Well, again, like I said, slavery is really not an issue today. Thank God that it's not. But these same principles apply to employees and employers today. How do you live out your faith in the workplace? Well, you're not to be disrespecting your boss, not answering back. You're not to be pilfering from the company, you know, you're not to be not to be cheating them out of time or cheating them literally stealing money from them or or, you know, misusing what's been entrusted to you. You're to be faithful and trustworthy. You know, that is a testimony in and of itself as a Christian when you, that's the way you live your life and you work that way. Where people see they they see you and then they hear you sharing the gospel and they go it lines up because look at his life. He's not like everybody else, or she's not like everybody else. He says that you may adorn the doctrine of God, our Savior, in all things. That word adorn is the Greek word cosmeo. It's where we get the word cosmetics. And it's the the idea is to garnish Uh, to garnish is what it literally means. And the idea is being, you know, as cosmetics enhance the beauty of a woman, so these qualities enhance the beauty of the gospel. You know, maybe you're trying to reach a a family member or a loved one or or a co-worker or whatever for Christ or your boss or whatever. I want to encourage you, follow what's being written in here, what Titus is to instruct people. This should be... Our lives, because by doing these things we adorn, we make the gospel beautiful. When we live our lives this way, verse eleven: for the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in the present age, looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of God of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ, who gave Himself for us that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people, zealous for good works. You know, God, in his grace, has brought salvation to all men, no matter who they are or what they've done. Wow, that's quite a message in and of itself. God's grace is available to all who will receive it. And once a person receives God's grace, once you and I receive God's grace in our lives, the grace of God becomes our teacher. The word teaching here it literally means, or it means to bring up a child, to educate. It's used of an activity directed toward the moral and spiritual nurture and training of the child to influence conscience, will, and action. How does a child learn? Well, children learn through instruction. Teach them how to do things or what not to do. You also teach them through correction. Hey, that was not the right thing to do. You know, you should do it this way. Or sometimes discipline. Hey, I told you not to do this, and there's a consequence. And now you need to understand that there's consequences for disobedience. So though all those ways are the ways that you teach people. Well, God's grace teaches us that way, too. God's grace in our life is nurturing and influencing you and I to live uh, godly lives, to deny ungodliness and worldly lusts, to live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present age. We don't do it because it's like, well, I got to do this in order to be saved. No, you're saved by grace. But because you're saved by grace, because God loves you so much, now I, I'm free to live that life and I want to live that life for Jesus. I want to live for Him. I, I want to deny all those worldly things, ungodliness. And God's grace in your and my life causes us to look for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Think about this. If it weren't for God's grace, think about this. If it weren't for God's grace, would you be looking for his soon return? Probably not. We'd be hiding, hoping he never shows up, or we'd be frantically trying in vain to earn our way to salvation or earn our way into paradise like the Muslims do. If it wasn't for God's grace, none of us deserve salvation. We deserve hell, except for by God's grace, we don't. We've been given that salvation through Jesus Christ. And so because of God's grace, man, we're waiting for his return. Not that we've earned it. We haven't earned salvation, but it's given to us. It's a free gift. And so come quickly, Lord Jesus. And Jesus died on the cross for your and my sins because of his mercy, and he imparts eternal life to us because of his grace. And because he's redeemed you and I, he's redeemed us from the power and the price of sin. You know, his plan and his purpose for each one of us is that we be his own special people, zealous <laughs> for good works. Special. And The King James Version says peculiar. I look around here, I see a lot of peculiar people. You're looking at a peculiar person here. What does it mean? It means it really means God's chosen people in whom he has a special interest. God has a plan and a purpose for each one of us. You're his special child. And he's treasured us. He's chosen us that we might be his own special people zealous for good works. He His desire is that you and I be zealous to live godly lives. And when you learn God's grace, when you understand God's grace, it really does affect how you live your life. I love that book that Pastor Chuck Smith wrote, Grace Changes Everything. Uh, if you've ever, never read that, I encourage you to read it because it's so true. Grace affects, or it should affect, every area of our life. How you and I treat others, you know. We treat them with the same grace that was extended to us. I mean, it has an impact in every area of our lives. And so here in verse 15, Paul says to Titus, Speak these things, exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no one despise you. Paul's telling Titus, Titus, not only are you able to speak these things, you're able to teach people from God's word not only are you to exhort or encourage people using God's word not only are you to correct people that are they've got false teaching false understandings they're they're following you know lies or whatever not only are you able to do those things but you have the authority to do those things Now you might say well that's great that's Paul's writing to a pastor right to Titus Titus has got the authority the pastoral authority to say these things but you know what As I look through the scriptures, you and I, who have experienced God's grace, we have been fed on the word of God, you and I are able to teach these things that we've learned in God's word. You and I are able to comfort and encourage people using God's word. We're able to refute and to show false teachings to be wrong with God's word. And not only are we able to, but you've been authorized to. The Bible says we're ambassadors for Christ. You know, Jesus isn't walking around here physically. He will one day, but right now he's not walking around here physically teaching people about how to, how to come to faith in him or, or teaching them about their lives or talking to them. He's left you and I on this planet, in this generation, to be his voice, to be his hands, to be his feet. He's, left, he's, he's given you and I that opportunity, and he's given us the authority to do this. Paul didn't just speak to Titus as a pastor. He spoke these things. Listen, he spoke these things to the church in Rome. Romans 15, verse 14, he says this. Now I myself am confident concerning you, my brethren. He's speaking to the church. That you are also full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, able also to admonish one another. You're able to admonish one another. You're able to encourage, to comfort, and to counsel one another. He spoke it to the Christians at Colossae. In Colossians 3.16, he says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. He spoke it to the Christians at Thessalonica. 1 Thessalonians 5.11, Therefore, comfort each other and edify one another, just as you are also doing. He's speaking the same thing to the church here at Calvary Chapel. You know, and this is not, I hope you don't take this as me being boastful or pompous or anything like this, but at Calvary Chapel, we don't water down the word. We don't do sermonettes for Christianettes. You know, I don't make these little cute little sermons. I try but I'm not very good at it, you know. What do we do? We, t- we, we don't even teach from God's word. You've got to go, well, wait a minute, <laughs> what are you teaching from? What I mean is, I don't take a portion of God's word and then start teaching from it I just teach God's Word. just simply just go through it reading God's Word and teaching it and we go from Genesis to X or Genesis to Revelation through the whole Bible. You guys are being taught God's word here and again I' not I'm not boasting it's not me. but this is a rich heritage that's been passed down to us in the Calvary Chapel movement from Pastor Chuck Smith. We have it's interesting. we've had different people who've been pastors and are that have come and been members of this church in the, over the years. And and one gentleman was a missionary in New Guinea. And he, he told me, he says, you know, it was really interesting. He was, he was in another denomination. He was a mini, uh, missionary for this other denomination in New Guinea. And he said, it was really interesting when the natives started coming up to me and saying, hey, your church teaches this, but the Bible says this. What's up with that? And so it was like the natives were recognizing that they were teaching the commandments of men. It wasn't lining up with Scripture. And it really challenged this guy. And when he finally found Calvary Chapel, the Calvary Chapel movement started, he says, man, I I don't know what I've been missing. He goes, I'm so blessed. He's he's totally sold out on Calvary Chapel. And again, I'm not trying to be boastful, and I'm not saying we're the only church or anything. No, I'm not saying that at all. But what I am saying is, you guys have a rich heritage here. You're being taught the Word of God. And you and I, you know, we've been fed a diet of protein and fiber here. Well, I want you, I want to encourage you to use what you learn here because you're able, qualified, and authorized to make disciples. One of the worst things that could be said is what the writer of Hebrews told the Hebrews. In chapter 5, verse 12, he's going through all this heavy stuff, and he says, "...for by this time you ought to be teachers..." You need someone to teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God, and you have come to need milk and not solid food. You guys are able to teach one another. You're able to encourage one another. You're able to come against false teaching using God's word. Well, Titus had a daunting task ahead of him. He had to confront and rebuke liars, deceivers, and lazy gluttons. I mean, his work was cut out for him. He had to teach the people how to live godly lives in a culture like that. He had to encourage and aid and comfort people like slaves who were coming to Christ, but they still found themselves in very difficult living situations. But you know what? He was able to do all those things using the word of God that he had been taught. And so my encouragement to you today is... You know, sometimes we ask people, hey, can you go in the back and teach children's ministry? You know what I hear sometimes? Oh, I just don't feel, I don't feel like I could do it. I don't feel qualified. Man, if, if you love Jesus, if he's in your heart and you know the word of God, you you have the word of God, man, you're, you're qualified. You're able to teach. And so I want to encourage you to use the word of God that you've learned, to use it, put it into practice. Use it in your speech. Encourage one another with it. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. And so I think that's the encouragement for us today here. And uh, it was definitely the encouragement for Titus. And I, you know, I was thinking about that, that. The people of Crete, they had this reputation. I, I go, well, I wonder what the reputation is of our culture. Well, we're Minnesota nice. I know that. You know, <laughs> But I just wonder about that. But uh, it's interesting because... Sometimes you look at the Midwest and, I, you know, one of the things I do know from the Midwest is that they're hard-working people. You know, people have grown up in farms and just there's this work ethic here in the Midwest. It's, that's really, it says a lot. And there's people that would give the shirts off their backs for others. There's, there's there's such good qualities in Minnesota. But you know what else is, I've noticed here? Because I'm not from here. I'm from California, so I've, I've seen the different culture. And coming out here, one thing that I've realized is there's a lot of, good religious people, people that they were born in a certain denomination or whatever. They were baptized as infants or whatever. And they're they're just good people. They're nice people. They give the shirt off their back. You know, they're, 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 they're very polite and stuff, but they're not saved. They don't have that relationship with Jesus Christ. And so I think, you know, Titus had to deal with gluttons and liars and stuff. And I wouldn't say that about the people here in, in the Midwest, but I would say that we've got our challenge cut out here, too. In fact, I remember Pastor John Michaels. He's a pastor of, uh, he was, he's gone to be with the Lord, but he was a pastor in uh, Calvary Chapel, Spring Valley, not Spring Valley. Well, he's in Nevada, it's just outside of Las Vegas. And he was sharing about how, um, you know, all these uh, people in in his church, you know, people that come to his church, they know they're sinners, because they live in sin city. I mean, you know, they have they've, they've been gamblers who just, they've lost everything. They've, maybe they've lost their marriages. or their, their lives have just been destroyed by gambling and alcohol. And and it's very easy to tell someone there, hey, you're a sinner and you need Jesus Christ. And I, and I remember talking to him once. I said, boy, your, your ministry must be tough. He goes, no. He goes, man, I got it easy. It's easy to tell those people they're sinners. Come out here to the Midwest. He goes, man, it's hard to tell people they're sinners and that they need a Savior here because they're so good, they're so nice. And so we have a culture that we have to deal with here as well. But God's word doesn't change. We still have God's word, and we can still teach, we can still rebuke, and we can still exhort one another with God's word. I always think it's sometimes it can, it can be a challenge reading some of these pastoral epistles and go, well, that applies to a pastor or whatever. But this was written for each one of us. It applies to all of us how to live our lives as Paul was describing to to Titus for these different people in, within the church, but also what he was telling Titus, hey, you're able to teach people. And you and I, we are able. We've been given the word of God. And, and I want to encourage you, you know, the sword that you have, the Bible is called the sword of the spirit. Man, use your sword. Use it. Start practicing with it. Let's go, Lord, in prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word this morning. Lord, I thank you for the challenge and the reminder, Lord, that... Uh, father we're able to to teach Lord we're able to comfort and exhort one another Lord we're able to come against false teaching in our generation and in our culture and father, I pray that Lord, as we've reflected on these different roles within the church Lord that Lord that we might adopt those as part of our lives Lord that we might follow you and that the the descriptions of these people would be the descriptions of us, Lord, because we love you and we thank you that it's your grace that has saved us Lord we Thank you that we can't earn because, Lord, there's no way that we could earn your salvation. It's been given to us as a free gift. And, Lord, I just pray, Father, that grace would be our teacher this morning, Lord, and this, throughout our lives. So I just thank you for your word this morning. I thank you for each and every person here. And, Lord, I pray your blessing upon now, and it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.